Do you ever f*** up? Do you ever feel like you don't measure up? Do you ever feel inadequate or insecure or immature or any of these things? Do you just feel like it, you know, has talk of this, this talk of discipleship and the demands of discipleship and, and what it means to follow Jesus these past few months? Have you ever felt like, goodness gracious, I don't think I could ever live up to that standard? Yeah, as I study this stuff, as I preach this stuff, you know, it's, I've told you before that the very act of preaching makes one a hypocrite because you're always holding forth a standard that you can never fully live up to. And so as I study it, I realize that I don't ever completely live up to this, and I, I um, know most of you don't, you know, um, on some level. And so that, this, this morning's message is for you. Okay, um, we're in the middle of this series called Join Me as we're looking at the, Jesus inviting his disciples to be a part of his mission. And we're going to look at a, a fairly large section of scripture today. We're not going to dive into every detail. We're just going to look at a consistent theme through several diff- different stories. And we're going to see how the disciples messed up. How they were messed up people who messed up time and time again. And my hope is that in this, it's, it's going to give us a little bit of encouragement. It's going to help us realize that, that these disciples, they weren't perfect. They stumbled, and they fell, and they made mistakes, and they said stupid things, and, uh, you know, they had bad judgment, and so I, I want us to just realize that we, we've been talking a lot about the demands of discipleship and how much Jesus requires, and, and while all of that's true, we're going to look at the fact that the people who were initially, the people who Jesus picked, they were, they were human. They messed up. They fell. And so uh, as, as we go through this, we're going to go through it kind of fast, but I'm going to highlight time and time again where they just, they just sort of blundered. They made a mistake in judgment or, or an error in what they said or an error in how they thought about people. And I just hope that by the end of this, you're going to realize, okay, that if you're not perfect, you're not alone. If you're not perfect, you're not alone. And, and there's room in this discipleship thing for all of us, as imperfect as we may be. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, as always, I'll put the text up on the screen. Uh, We're going to start in verse 28. I'll skip a couple verses here and there, but uh, you can just read along with me. All right, so this is uh, following some of the conversation Jesus had with his disciples. It says, about eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So, you know, uh, Peter and James and John are sort of like the, the big three among the group. They're the ones that Jesus sort of invests in a little bit more. So you've got the, the whole group of disciples, which is a big number. Then you've got the 12 specifically. And then even among the 12, you've got the three that Jesus invests in a little bit more. So he brings them with him on this little journey. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So, in other words, I, there's, this is a really neat story. There's sort of all sorts of really interesting things happening here. But that's not what we're talking about this morning, all right? So we're just going to skip over that. You may have questions. Um, that's okay. That's not what we're talking about. So there's this really neat thing happening um, Peter and James and John are watching as this transfiguration happens with Jesus. He starts shining brightly. These two other people show up. Um, It's preparing Jesus for what's about to come. Uh, Here's Peter's response. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, some of you can probably relate already, right? They were very sleepy. Some of you can probably relate. Uh, When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him and As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke just wants to clue us in here. He, he adds a little parenthesis. He did not know what he was saying. Right? So we have Peter, who's Peter's always so bold. Peter's always willing to speak up. And here he says something, and, and Luke wants us to know, by the way, Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Right? Peter just jumped in there, and he, he spoke out of turn. He, he didn't know what was going on. He offered a suggestion that didn't make any sense because he didn't understand. But, you know, and, and Luke, I just, I love this. Luke, he didn't know what he was saying. You know, Peter, he just, he just jumped out there. He was, uh, in other words, in this particular instance, Peter was ignorant. Peter was ignorant. He didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was talking about. He, he offered a suggestion without understanding what was going on. This is the very same Peter who just eight days ago was the one who identified Jesus as the Messiah, right? So sometimes Peter was right on. Sometimes he knew exactly what he was saying. And other times he couldn't have been any more off than he was. And this is one of those times. So we see that, that in this particular instance, Peter... The Apostle Peter, one who, he wrote a couple of books in the New Testament, uh, you know, he, he's the one that uh, eventually leads the church for a while, that Peter, at this particular moment, he was ignorant, he messed up, he, he didn't know what he was talking about. Moving on, Luke says this, the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. So not only was Peter ignorant, but in this particular story, the disciples were incapable. The disciples were incapable. They couldn't do it. They, Jesus had given them power and authority previously. He had told them if they could do these things, this, this thing comes up and they're not able to take care of it. And so you can imagine if you've ever tried to do something and not been able to do it, you know how insecure that makes you feel. If you're incapable, it makes you feel insecure. This would have been very defeating for Jesus' disciples that they weren't able to do this. So not only was Peter ignorant, but the disciples were incapable in this particular moment. So Jesus goes on, and Jesus heals the little boy when the disciples couldn't. And then uh, Luke tells us the next story. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, he had told them this once already, that he was going to die. But the disciples did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They were afraid. They'd been following Jesus for, for months now, if not longer. They'd been following for all this time. Jesus had always said things, and they, yet they were afraid to ask him about it. In other words, the disciples were intimidated. Peter was ignorant, the disciples were incapable, and now the disciples are intimidated. We see time and time again that you know, they, are, they, they have bad judgment, they mess up, they're afraid, they're, they're afraid to talk to Jesus. Have you ever felt intimidated? Have you ever felt like you couldn't speak up to somebody? Have you ever felt like uh, somebody is better than you or you, you, you had a question you didn't understand and you were afraid to, to ask the question? Maybe some of you were that way in school. You know you, you know you had a question you didn't understand but you were afraid to raise your hand because you, you were afraid of what other people might think about you. That's probably what's going on here with the disciples. You know, they're sitting around, Jesus says this thing that they don't understand, and they all think, well, I don't want to be the one to speak up. I don't want to ask the question. I don't want people to, to wonder, you know, you know maybe, maybe I'm not as spiritual as the rest. Maybe I don't get it, and so they're afraid to sort of raise their hand. They're afraid to sort of ask the question. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt that way in a meeting or a church service or a small group, and you thought that everybody else, you know, knew, and you felt like you were insecure, and you, you didn't understand, and you were intimidated to ask the question. 
Uh, by the way, if you ever do have a question, uh, the, they've done research, you know, if you have a question, there's probably two or three, four other people in the room who have the same question. So, so be like Peter, right? Be, be the one that's bold enough to raise your hand and ask the question. Say, hey, what does that mean? All right, so the disciples, Peter was ignorant, the disciples were incapable, and now the disciples were intimidated. Luke goes on to tell us another story. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Right? How many times do we do this? How many times do we jockey for power and jockey for control and jockey for recognition and, and want to be the ones who are the greatest, the ones who are in the position of power, the ones who have control, the ones who make the decisions, the ones who get the recognition? How many times does, does our, our sinful nature want us to be the ones who are in control? How many times do we, do we fight to make sure that you know, we get recognition, whether that's... Um, you know, at the job, you, you try to put on the face, you try to make sure that everybody knows that, that you're the one who made the sale, that, you know, your sales are better than everybody else's, that your grades are better than anybody else's, that you're the best basketball player out there, that, you know, you're employee. How many times do we fight for this recognition? Do we want to be recognized as the greatest? Uh, and they, these are disciples who've been following Jesus. Once again, they've been following him day after day, living with him day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, and yet even after all of this time, they're still missing the point and they're arguing about who gets to be the greatest, who gets to have that place of authority. In this situation, the disciples were immature. The disciples were immature. Peter was ignorant. The disciples were incapable. They were... Uh, uh, immature, they were intimidated. So once again, the disciples, you know, they're, they're demonstrating that they're missing the point, that they're messing up, that they're messed up. They still haven't got it after all of this time. You, you just, just imagine, you know, how frustrated this must have been for Jesus, right? He's been teaching them time and time again, demonstrating what it means to, to be a servant leader, and they're still not getting it. Do you ever, can you relate? You ever feel that way? Like you just don't get it. I do sometimes. I, you know, I, I study this stuff week after week, and, pretty, and still, you know, I, I find myself messing up. I find myself getting bad attitudes. I find myself, um, you know, feeling like I can't do something or, or having immature attitudes, you know, and I, I got a master's degree in this stuff, right? So this is, if, if the disciples felt this way, if I feel that way, if you feel that way, I want you to know that these feelings are normal. These feelings are normal. Luke tells us another story. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. At this point, I just sort of imagine Jesus just going, <sighs> John, John, dear John, John, come on, John, how long have you been following me? He says, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you, right? So how many times do we, do we have this exclusivist mindset that if, that if somebody's not a part of our tribe that they can't be doing anything good, right? We look at that other denomination, right, who does things a little bit differently or who believes things a little bit differently, and we think that if they're not like us, 
then they can't be doing anything good. They must be up to no good if they're not a part of our tribe or our crew. How many times do we tend to feel this way exclusively? You know, we feel that way about churches. We feel that way about countries. We sometimes feel that way about other religions. We sometimes feel that way about um, lots of different things. We feel like if they're not like us, they must be no good. And Jesus just says, come on, guys. Let's, you know... Let's look for the good in other people. They don't have to be just like us to be up to some good. In, in, other, in this case, the disciples were irresponsible. It was irresponsible for John to tell somebody to stop doing good works just because they weren't a part of this very same crowd. They were irresponsible. Peter was ignorant. The disciples were incapable. They were intimidated. They were immature. And in this case, John was irresponsible. Have you ever been irresponsible? Have you ever made decisions that weren't the best decision? You didn't check with the people you were supposed to check with, and, and you made a decision that was bad because, you know, you thought that your group was better than somebody else's group. You, you said, well, if they're not a part of us, they must not be any good. And you, you get involved in somebody's business you shouldn't get in. You're, in. you're in good company. The mistakes don't stop here. Luke tells another story. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, remember James and John are, are part of the big three. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? At which point Jesus goes, oh. James, John, John, James, James and John. Really? Really, guys? How long have you been following me? When's the last time you saw me call down fire from heaven on somebody who didn't want to hear what I had to say? Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So in other words, you know, in this particular case, the disciples were impetuous. They were impetuous. They acted without thinking in this case. They, and we can, on one hand, we can sort of understand where they come from. Because, you know, they, the New Testament wasn't written yet. Their Bible was the Old Testament. And in the Bible, when people, when people spoke ill against the prophets, sometimes things like this happen, right? Sometimes fire from heaven came down. And so, you know, if they had done their Bible study in the morning and they had, you know, read these stories about the prophets who called down fire, or called out bears, or people who insulted them, we can sort of understand. And so this is, you know, how many times do we try to take Old Testament curses and apply them in a New Testament time? Right. Jesus is, in, is telling these people, listen, times have changed. They should have known this by following Jesus. He's the very one who said, love your enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you and do good unto them. So if they'd been paying any attention at all to what Jesus had saying, they, they would have known that calling down fire from heaven on people who didn't accept his message, you know, just didn't line up with his mission. But, but they were impetuous. They acted without thinking. Anybody here ever acted without thinking? You ever let your, let your mouth slip and say something you didn't mean to say because you were upset about the way that somebody treated you? Have you ever been impetuous? I have, right? The disciples were impetuous. So far, what we've seen is the disciples were ignorant, incapable, intimidated, immature, irresponsible, and impetuous. 
I don't always do alliteration, but it just worked so well with this sermon, okay? They were ignorant, incapable, intimidated, immature, irresponsible, impetuous. In short, the disciples were imperfect. The disciples were imperfect. Can anybody relate? Raise your hand if you're perfect. <laughs> I caught some, caught some of you. <laughs> right? Nobody here is perfect. The disciples were imperfect. They messed up over and over and over again. And yet, and yet, this is what I don't want you to miss. These are the people that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom. Ignorant, incapable, intimidated, immature, irresponsible, impetuous, imperfect. These are the people that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom. Jesus didn't give up on them just because they messed up. Just because they messed up a lot. Just because they messed up big time. Sometimes just because they, they, they had bad judgment. Jesus did not give up on them. So you probably know where I'm going with this. If Jesus, we're talking about the, the heroes of our faith. Peter and James and John, the ones who, who led the church and wrote parts of the Bible and did great miracles. The people that we look up to were ignorant, incapable, intimidated, immature, irresponsible, and impetuous, and imperfect at times. If God could work with them, you see where I'm going with this, right? God can work with you. These are the people Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom. Here's the bottom line. Christianity is for imperfect people. If you're a perfect people, you don't need Christianity. If you're not messed up in some way, then you don't need what Jesus has to offer. The offer of forgiveness of sins is for, for those of us who know that we're sometimes weak, who know that we're sometimes frail, that we're sometimes messed up, that we make bad decisions, that we do bad things, that we have misjudgments, that we treat people wrongly. Christianity is for imperfect people. So as we're going through the series, this isn't, this isn't an excuse. This isn't, a chance, this isn't an excuse for us to go and say, oh, well, I'm imperfect. Whatever I do is okay. I can act however I want because Jesus forgives me. The point is, is, is don't be discouraged if you find yourself still imperfect. That, you know, they, they never... Newsflash, these guys never stopped making mistakes until they died, right? They never stopped making mistakes until they died. Now, they got better, and they grew, and hopefully they learned from their mistakes as they went, but you don't have to be a perfect person to be a follower of Jesus, and that's, that's what I want you to get from this. Christianity is for imperfect people. If you open up your bulletin and you read under Stony Brook Community Church of God, you see that the very first line says, we are a gathering of imperfect people. Learning to follow Jesus. That's what we're about in this church. We are a gathering of imperfect people. If you're perfect, we don't want you here. Okay? Because you're going to make the rest of us feel bad. <laughs> so if you're perfect, if you never make mistakes, if you never mess up, if you're never ignorant, incapable, immature, impetuous, any of these things, if you never make mistakes, then go to another church, okay? Because you're going to make us feel bad. But if you're any of these things, then there's hope. Jesus can still use us and train us and shape us. And, and look at the things that these ignorant, incapable, intimidated, immature, impetuous, and all the other I words people did. Look at the great things that God was able to do with them. They took over the Roman Empire in the first couple of centuries because of their faith in Jesus. And they were not perfect. 
they learn to trust God along the way. Okay, so we're going to continue talking about what it means to follow Jesus as we go through the series. And we're going to see that the demands of Jesus are high. That he calls us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily as we follow him. But you don't have to be perfect in the journey. The demands of discipleship are high, but Jesus is patient and he's forgiving. Jesus never, Jesus never said, you know what, Peter, I, you, know, you messed up too many times. Peter, that's the last straw. That's the last question you got wrong. James, that's the, that's the last, that's, I just can't take your impetuousness anymore. As a matter of fact, as I read through the Gospels, it seems to me that forgiveness would have been offered even to Judas. It seems like forgiveness would have been offered even to Judas who betrayed him. We know that Peter and the others abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need, right? Peter denied Jesus, denied even knowing him three times while Jesus was being uh, tortured and interrogated. Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet when Jesus came back from the grave, he forgave Peter and gave him another chance. So, you know, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, killed Christians. He, he took Christians, he brought them to jail, and he, was, he, he had them executed. And yet Jesus forgave Paul. And Paul wasn't perfect once he became a Christ follower. He made some bad decisions himself. Christianity is for imperfect people. If you're an imperfect people, you are welcome here. Now, we're not going to, Jesus never left people where they were, right? He never said, you know, you're imperfect and I don't expect you to grow. I don't expect you to change. He, he led them from the front. He forgave them and then he challenged them and he encouraged them to grow and to take that next step. So if you're an imperfect people, we're not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to continue to challenge you to take that next step of faith, to, to grow in that area where maybe you need to grow it. And, and you'll do the same for me. That's what we do for one another. But I never want you to feel like the, the demands are so impossible that, that you just aren't welcome here. If you look at how, I, I, I really believe that the, the reason that Jesus chose the people that he did, the reason that Luke and Matthew and Mark included the stories that they did was so that you know, the disciples are supposed to be indicative of us. We, we're supposed to look at the disciples in all of their imperfection and see our own imperfection and see that God was able to use them anyway. Despite where the... God, they did, God didn't choose the, the smartest, most capable, you know, most well-respected people. He chose imperfect people because God delights. He delights to work with imperfect people. God delights to work through weak people. Paul tells us that, that it's in our weakness that his strength is made most manifest. That, that through our weakness and our imperfection, what God is able to do with us in spite of that. So the more messed up you are, the better for God, right? The more messed up you are, the more that God can use you and shape you and work through you to transform people's lives and hearts and families and communities. That's why we exist. That's that's. Our mission here as a church, to, to reach people's hearts, to transform lives, hearts, communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're an imperfect people, then you are welcome to join us. In fact, you're the only people we want to have join us on that mission. Perfect people need not apply. Christianity is for imperfect people. I'm going to say a word of prayer. Uh, as I do, I'm going to invite Henry up and we're going to partake in uh, communion together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these stories. We're thankful that you remind us that the very first followers of Jesus were messed up people, that they messed up and they were messed up and they made mistakes and, you know, they, they didn't get it, Father. We know that 
we are messed up people and we mess up and we make mistakes and we misunderstand and we don't get it. But we know that, Father, as we learn to trust you, that your forgiveness is always fresh, your mercies are new every morning, that you can use even us in all of our imperfection to advance the work of your kingdom here on earth, that you can use us to be a part of your mission of transforming lives and hearts and families and communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, as we partake together of communion, we pray for the bread, for what it represents, for the body of Jesus that was broken for us, for what he endured in his body so that we could be healed, so that we could be set free for the blood that he shed, Father, for the forgiveness of our sins. We remember that awful, awful period of time where he endured such agony, such torture, and he did it for us. Father, we remember that this was an act of love, that you so loved us that you gave your only son, that what Jesus endured, he endured on our behalf so that we could be set free, so that we could experience your forgiveness. So, Father, we pray for the bread, and we pray for the cup, and for all that they represent. And as we gather together, as we share this meal together, we remember that as we do this, we are in communion with saints around the world. Father, as we share the same bread and the same cup that our Egyptian brothers and sisters shared this morning, as some of them paid the ultimate price, as they gathered together to worship your name and gave their lives for it, Father, as they, as they shared the bread and the cup, we realize that we are in this together, that what you've called us to do is not just for us in this small church here in Bloomington, Indiana, but that you have called us to something greater that we're connected to a worldwide body that has spanned across the centuries and spans across the countries. Father, help us to remember that you are at work in our lives and in the lives of Christians around the world, that as we share the same bread in the same cup, that we are worshiping the same God, that the same body and the same blood that purchased our pardon purchased theirs as well. Help us to remember that we are members of the body of Christ, and that body is bigger than we are. So, Father, as we partake, partake of that bread and that cup this morning, help us to remember not only our brothers and sisters around the world, but the, the great sacrifice that you made so that we could have this opportunity. Father, let us never take for granted what it is that we do in this place as we remember what you accomplished on Calvary. Father, I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.